half years now, the last couple of days with my wife, uh, Maddie. Um, and whilst we're doing introductions, if I had to tell you one interesting thing about myself, it would be the fact that I like running. I genuinely find running fun. And I say this to my students at college. I say that often on the way home from work, I stop in Kingsonbourne and I go for a run around the same sort of place um, and that I really enjoy it. And they think that I'm stupid. Uh, and they say, surely, Tim, running in the same place all the time can't be fun. I mean, the hypocrisy of it. They enjoy running on a treadmill, but we won't <laughs> go there. But I say to them, no, you don't get it, because although I always run in the same place, I always spot something different. The clouds move, the seasons change, the sun's somewhere different, there's some new wildlife, someone's out with their dog, someone's out in a tractor. I say, every time I go, something is different and something is new. And like Sim just said, at the moment we're in the middle of this series called 40 Days with Jesus, looking at the 40 days between Jesus' uh, resurrection and his ascension. And we're looking at that for two reasons. The first is that there's some really, really good stuff in there that we can learn about Jesus. And the second reason we're looking at it is because these passages sometimes get a little bit overlooked in church. Sometimes we do a series that runs up to Easter and we go, ah, right, let's do a new series. And this bit of Jesus' life sometimes gets missed out. And so today's passage is a, the exception that proves the rule. This is a passage that a lot of people in this room will be really familiar with and that you'll know really well. But my prayer for us today is that a little bit like going for a run or walking the dog or going on your commute somewhere that is familiar, that today we'd notice something new and that we would um, find out some new things about Jesus through this passage this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and then we're going to read the passage, and we'll go from there. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, my prayer for us this morning is that you would make the familiar feel fresh and the known feel new. God, would you speak to us through your word this morning? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you want to say to each one of us through your beautiful word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've got a Bible or a device with you, um, then you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 28. The word should also appear behind me on the screen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I said it was a well-known passage, but I believe that Jesus and God is going to speak new things to us this morning. And as we look at this passage, I really feel like the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I want to look at this passage holistically. I want to see what we can learn about the bigger picture from this passage. I'm not going to suggest specific strategies for subtly talking about Jesus to your colleagues. Because this passage is much greater than that. This passage is not talking about how to do mission. It's talking about how to live a life where mission is at its core. How we actually live this out in practice is really well suited to discussion over a coffee or with your connect group. Because this great commission should be carried out in great community. If we have perspective of this big idea, we can work out some of those finer points slightly later. So before we look at the passage a little bit more, let's quickly look at the title, The Great Commission. 
The title is not something that Jesus or Matthew, who wrote this book, or Paul um, ever really referred to. It's a relatively new title that's been put over this passage. Is it a fitting title? Yes, absolutely. It is a great commission. But I just warn us of that because um, there's a risk that an imposing sounding title like the Great Commission means that we read these verses in isolation. I think it's more helpful to look at this passage like it's a recap or a conclusion or a summary. Jesus has modelled everything he talks about here himself through his ministry. And so rather than looking at these verses just on its own, let's look at them as a summary and we can see Jesus demonstrating everything that he commands us to do in his own life recorded in the Gospels. So I want to look at three main things this morning. The source of our mission, the goal of our mission, and the power behind our mission. And if you're worried that um, I made these up because they sound fancy, then they actually do relate to uh, the different sections of this passage. So the first section of the passage is the source of our mission. The second section is the goal of our mission. And the last section, there you go, is the power behind our mission. So we're going to break it into three chunks. So the source of our mission, we've got to get the source right. Have you ever been to the wrong source for something? I mean, I've got to talk about canoeing at some point this morning, haven't I? And um, can you imagine if I took my canoe to the source of the wrong river and then paddled all the way down it to the sea? I'd end up in completely the wrong place. Or my students, they're great at going to the wrong source. I teach them for weeks. They get reams and reams of notes, perfect for the assignment I'm about to set them. I launched the assignment, and a day later, they're all on Google and Wikipedia. Not always a great source. For to find our mission, we've got to go to the right source. And that source, it's not Freedom Church, it's not Sim, it's not me, it's Jesus. And when we go to Jesus, what kind of mission do we find there? Because I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a multiple missions kind of guy. I'm always on a mission. I'm on a mission to get home from work on time. I'm on a mission to persuade everyone to eat British meat. I'm on a mission to see wonky vegetables in the supermarket. I'm on a mission to get healthy. But none of these are the life mission that I was made for. They're a little bit more like the side course. In fact, none of these are anything compared to the mission that I was made for, the main course. Here at Freedom Church, we believe that each of us was made on purpose for a purpose. We believe that God is the creator, our creator, and that Jesus came to make a way for us to be in relationship with God, leaving us the Holy Spirit as our guide and counsellor. And in a nutshell, we call that the good news, and we don't add to it, and we don't take away from it, because the good news is good enough. This morning, if you're questioning your purpose, if you're not sure what you're living for, if someone brought you to church and you feel like the good news is missing from your life, we want to talk and pray with you this morning. Because in Jesus, we find our life mission, the mission we were made for. So the source of our mission is Jesus, and the mission we find at that source is the mission we were made for. I want you to imagine the scene for a moment. This happened on a farm uh, two away from my cousin's farm in Dorset, the farm of Farmer Rudge. And Farmer Rudge produces beef and has a large cattle herd. And one morning, Farmer Rudge was scraping the slurry out of his yard when he heard the thud of a car door closing. As he looked up, standing next to a brand-new Range Rover Evoque was a very well-dressed gentleman in a brand-new pair of Hunter Wellington boots. 
And the well-dressed gentleman sort of strutted over towards Farmer Rudge, and Farmer Rudge said in his thick Dorset accent, I shouldn't have done that, thick Dorset accent, um, can I help? And, um, and the well-dressed gentleman looked at him and said, um, yes, you can actually. I am at the Environmental Agency Inspector for Waterways and Irrigation. And um, I need to have a little look around your farm to make sure you're not breaking any of our rules. Is that okay? And Farmer Rudge sort of looked him up and down and went, I suppose, but don't go in that field over there. And he pointed to that field. At that, the inspector looked a little bit agitated, and he slightly puffed up his chest and lifted his jaw, and he said, excuse me, just so you know, I'm actually the chief inspector of waterways and irrigation for the environmental agency on behalf of the British government. In fact, look at my card, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out his card, and he said, my card gives me complete authority to go on any agricultural land in the UK. No questions asked, no answers given. Does that make sense? Do you get it? And Farmer Rudge felt a little bit surprised by that strong response, so he shrugged his shoulder and said, all right, I suppose. And Farmer Rudge went back to scraping out his slurry. And he'd nearly finished scraping the slurry when he heard a piercing scream. He looked up, and there was the well-dressed inspector running as fast as he could over the field. I say running, it's a strong term for it, because he's wearing brand new hunter wellies, and he's sort of not running very well, but he's moving as quickly as he can across the field. And Farmer Rudge squints, and then he can see the reason for the scream. Bearing down on the inspector is Terminator, his stacked, prize-winning bull. And the inspector's running, and Terminator's gaining on him. And every step the inspector takes, Terminator's getting closer and closer and closer. Farmer Rudge can see that this is a bad situation. So he throws down his scraper, and he runs up to the fence line, and he shouts, Oi! Show him your card! Show him your card! You see... The inspector thought that his car gave him authority over all things, but it didn't. It gave him authority over some things. At the start of this passage, Jesus declares that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is really important. Jesus is declaring that he has a whole new level of authority. You see, in Matthew chapter 9, he'd already said that he had authority on earth to forgive sins. And in Matthew chapter 11, he said that all things have been committed to him by the Father. But only now, after his atoning death and triumphant resurrection, has his authority over all things in heaven and on earth been gloriously confirmed. That is a lot of authority. And this commission, this instruction, flows out of that authority. And why does Jesus remind us of his authority? Is it like a school teacher who reminds you of their authority to force you into doing what they tell you? Is Jesus stating his authority to make us listen to what he's saying? No, of course not. Just like the, Jesus, the words that Jesus said in the run-up to his resurrection were so in the run-up to his crucifixion were so significant, so poignant, and so carefully worded, so these words are equally thought out. Jesus knew this was one of the last things he would ever be recorded as saying. Jesus knew that we would be pouring over these words for thousands of years to come because they were his last words. 
No, he hasn't restated his new level of authority to make us pay attention. We're paying attention anyway. He's stated his authority so that we can go about his business with his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, dot, dot, dot. He reminds us of his authority so that we can go out with authority. Jesus uses his authority to launch this commission. The great commission flows out of Jesus' authority. So considering that Jesus has stated his authority as the source of our mission, let's see what he tells us about the goal of our mission. So the passage then continues. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Let's let that sink in for a moment. If I was to paraphrase that bit of the passage, it would be this. Therefore, go and transform lives. As you are being transformed, transform others. Like Sim said a couple of weeks ago, just as freed people, free people. So transformed people, transform people. And transform is a big word. Because Christians aren't just meant to be slightly politer versions of the rest of the world. Slightly slower to anger, slightly quieter, slightly more humble, slightly less self-centered. We're supposed to be completely different completely transformed. In fact, Ezekiel says that the difference should be as stark as the difference between a pile of dry bones and a living, breathing person. So what's the goal of our mission? Complete transformation. And so Jesus then outlines a number of different things which can transform our lives and help us continually be transformed. And this morning, as we look at these four things, it's a two-pronged challenge. Are you still being continually transformed yourself? And are you aspiring to see the people around you continue to be transformed? So how does this transformation in us and the people around us happen? Well, Jesus says we should go, disciple, baptize, and teach. And I just want to briefly look at each of these this morning. So first of all, go. Despite my appearance it may have escaped your attention that I'm not Greek. Um, I don't know any Greek, and I'm not going to pretend that I know any Greek. But people who know a lot more Greek than me are still arguing about what this word go means. But I believe that the go here means both as you are going about your business, day-to-day life, and also specific calls to go to specific places. And so where should we go? Wherever God is leading us. And as a church leadership team, we want to support you wherever God calls you to go. We want to uh, support you in doing the thing that makes you come alive. And so it doesn't matter if you don't work. It doesn't matter if your children have flown the nest. You're not too old. You're not too young. We all have somewhere we can go to, or more importantly, we will have someone we can go to. We just need to discover it. That might be abroad, it might be next door, it might be our family, it might be somewhere completely random. But we all have someone or somewhere that God wants us to go. Who might God have placed near you to go to? 
Who do you really desire to see changed? We've got to go. And when we go, what are we to do? Disciple. That's where the transformation really starts. The art of being a disciple is an attitude, a culture, a mindset. The word disciple is more like apprentice. Study your rabbi. Become more like him. Aspire to become aligned in every way. That's why we have a growing, stronger team. Because we know that discipleship is a long journey of studying God and learning from him. Are you still a disciple? Or have you reached a plateau? Is God still welcome to challenge, shape and grow you? Or after a couple of years of being a Christian, does discipleship finish? And the people under your wing, the people you journey with, are you still challenging them to continue studying their rabbi in the pursuit of becoming more like him? So we need to transform lives, and we do that by going and by discipling. What else does Jesus say? Baptism. Here at Freedom Church, we believe that baptism is the mark of becoming a disciple. It draws a line in the sand that says, I have changed forever, and I'm never going back. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, like Sim said earlier, we want to encourage you, and maybe next Sunday could be the day. And what sort of baptism should it be? It should be baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's really important because you might not know this, but this is the first time in the Bible that all three elements of the Trinity have ever been listed like this side by side, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're used to sort of reeling them off like that because of liturgy, etc. But this is the first time that they've been mentioned side by side. So how does baptism help transform lives? Because it's integral that it's got all three elements of the Trinity. By helping people get to grips with God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we ignore one element, our lives will not be fully transformed. Without the Father, we lack the eternal perspective. Without the Spirit, we lack the power. And without the Son, we lack the example. So we go, and as we go, we disciple. And as we disciple, we baptize. How else can we transform people? But the last thing Jesus talks about is by teaching people to obey everything that he has commanded you. So take a deep breath. Sit up in your seat. Do up your seatbelt because everything else has been a little bit like a warm-up. Get ready for a challenge. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. Seriously? Everything? Let them study their rabbi until they become like him. Are you willing to accept what that looks like? looking like Jesus? Are you trying to obey all his commands? And are you trying to teach others to as well? Because remember, that includes putting others first, caring for the poor, being generous, loving your enemies, sharing your possessions, repenting of your sins, not lusting, seeking God's kingdom, not storing up treasure. And the sad reality is this. I said there's been some confusion over the word go, and that's because this challenge to obey everything that Jesus has commanded has probably been too much of a challenge for some people. In the past, some people have probably taught from the pulpit that this verse only applies to those people who are going to overseas mission, because it kind of gets the rest of us off the hook. But no, this passage does apply to all of us, and we need to be grappling with what it is to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And so these challenges that Jesus sets out before us to go, to disciple, to baptize, and to teach, 
These are not just tasks set to the professionals. We don't leave Sim and Jim and Hannah and Trevor to it. They're tasks for all of us. They're challenges for all of us. We want to see a church which is full of people who are pouring the transformation that they have received into other people's lives. A church full of people who are helping others to become disciples of Jesus and be baptised. A church full of people who are being so fully transformed themselves that they bring others with them on that journey of transformation. So what's the goal of our mission? It's to transform lives. And right now, I think I know what you might be thinking, and it's probably because I'm thinking it too. Help! I haven't got the time, the energy, the resources. Can't I just come to church? Does this mission really need to invade every facet of my life? And how do I know that you're thinking that? Because I am too. But if we're going to take Jesus at his word, this passage has got to shape the whole of our lives. In fact, we need to shape the whole of our lives around this mission. So if you're thinking that life is busy and tiring already, don't feel daunted because Jesus finishes his teaching by reminding us of the power behind this mission, his presence. So the power behind our mission is his presence. The passage finishes with an incredible promise. You see, the story as Matthew tells it, it grows from Jesus' birth and the work of John the Baptist. It builds into a stunning account of Jesus' ministry. He teaches, he preaches, he disciples, he heals, he calms the storm, the blind see, large crowds follow him. He feeds thousands, he's killed in the cruelest way possible. Three days later, he overcomes death in his resurrection and he continues to teach. And how does the story end? Jesus assures his disciples that he is with them always, even until the end of the age. And at this point, Matthew, who wrote this book, decides to put the ink down, roll up the scroll, and finish telling the story of the most amazing person he ever got to meet. And at the start, I said we mustn't read this passage in isolation. And here, if we just zoom out for a moment, we see a really beautiful promise of God's presence with us. You see, at the start of Matthew's gospel in chapter one, there's the traditional genealogy, which he had to put in there because that's what you do. And then the first passage in there, an angel appears to Joseph and reassures him and said, you will have a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this beautiful promise of God's presence with us is both at the start and the end of this book. It's like the whole life and story of Jesus is suspended between these two beautiful promises of God's presence with us. So Matthew has reached the end of his story. God has walked with us, spoken with us, and lived life with us. And God will always be with us. And so this is where we come in to land. We kind of get it. Having overcome death, Jesus had all authority. And so we know that we too share in that authority. And we know the scale of what he asks us to do is challenging and life-changing, but we know a greater promise that God is always with us. And that promise, that presence, is the power that we need. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite the band to come back up onto the stage, and because I think it's good to respond to the word of God. And you know what? I think... 
might just be me, but I think it's all of us. I think we are probably more comfortable with the first two points this morning. That we kind of get that the authority of Jesus is our authority too. And I think we kind of get the goal is to transform lives. Yeah, bang can come up, that's fine. But I think that we struggle with finding the power, the promise of God's presence with us. This morning, if you feel like you need to know the presence of God in a new way, if you feel like you need a fresh sense of his presence in your life, if you want to know in your knower that he's with you, then as the band play, why don't you respond? If you want to gain a new sense of God's presence in your life and the power that comes with that, then maybe in a moment pray with someone near you, or if you want to come to the front, then there'll be members of the prayer team here. Jesus has all authority. He commands us to transform lives and to continue being transformed ourselves. And he promises that his presence will be with us as we go about that. Amen. Great.